Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Jackson. And my guest today is Rabbi Eitan Ash. And our topic is, if not you, who? And if not now, when? It's actually a crib on Rabbi Hillel's quote, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? But when I'm only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? Welcome, Rabbi Eitan Ash. It's so good to meet you. I have especially invited Rabbi Ash on my program because he was uh, my husband and my uh, wellness monitor throughout our bout with COVID now. And you know, Rabbi Ash, that that song that they've just been playing, I don't know who chose it, but it says, we are better together. And I think what, you know, we couldn't say it any better than that, actually. So welcome. I just want to just introduce you. You have many talents and many interests. Rabbi Ash is a community rabbi of Chabad Savoy. He's also a businessman and he's a, he's a managing director of DV8 Alternate Building Solutions and business development manager at Boomercam. And he's also a fundraiser for many very good uh, causes. Uh, Malka Ella Fertility Fund being one of them. You've, you've run for them, you've ridden bikes for them, and what would you like to add to that? What, who else are you? If I'm not for myself, who will be for me? I mean, you're certainly for everybody. So, Sue, thank you so much. We did as I meet under interesting circumstances. One of more, a very exciting voice I got in the end of the phone, everything I day when I did phone you and your husband. Um, so thank you very much for the intro. Um, I'm going to let you speak in my funeral one day when I, one day when I do die, many years to come. Yeah, <laughs> a great intro. Thank you. So, uh, yes, I work at a company called Rumor Camp on the corporate side. I was an MD of a company called TV8. Um, I am involved, obviously, in the shul. I'm very privileged to be part of Hatsola. I'm part of another organization called Zaka as well. Um, and thank God, doing an array of different things out there as much as we can for the community when and how we can. Uh, myself and my family, thank God, I'm not the only one. I've got my, my daughter, my wife, actually my other daughter as well, just joined Hugo's Heroes at Atsala. So thank God as a family, we're very involved in community as, and very much the school as much as we can. And definitely you come from a family who uh, were always involved with community. I remember meeting you when you were young, I might add, uh, coming to your house. And I remember saying to your mom, I was very pleased to see that she had wild children also. <laughs> so, yeah, one of five boys. We, we only ever got invited once to anyone. No one ever invited us <laughs> We're the ones of wonders. Five wild kids, but thank God all doing well. And um, Eitan, what actually made you decide to become a rabbi? It's an interesting question. So the truth is I never, ever had a desire ever to become a rabbi, to be honest. In my schooling days, I fluctuated in and out a bit within Yiddish card in his own little way, had my own personal journeys. But when I came out of school, I went to Yeshiva. Um, my first week being in Melbourne, I was, I was very um, lucky to do 
four or five different years of yeshiva in four or five different cities around the world, actually. Mm. Um, and third of all, the Lubavitch Rebbe was very much into the concept that any Chabad boy in yeshiva and generally should try to do smicha, purely from a point of view of doing smicha. Um, from a knowledge base and having, if you're going to run it from home, know the laws of meat and milk and the main subjects that are done it in smicha. And therefore, the smicha and ordained as a rabbi purely upon a personal journey point of view, had no desire whatsoever to be a rabbi in uh-huh. any format at all. I came back to South Africa, went straight into business after my years of yeshiva. And interestingly, Rabbi Masinta, um, started the Shul in Chabad Savoy in the first week and he called myself and a guy called Be Unterslack, who runs a shul with me still to this day. Actually, one of the board members of Atzala. And he actually, um, drove, um, caused myself and Dove to get involved at the shul. And I've been there ever since. I'm now the main rabbi there. I've been there for way over a decade as a rabbi. I started shul 23 years ago with myself, Raman Sinta and Dove. And that was my journey into the rabbinate per se, or, or formal rabbinate per se. And what does it actually mean to be, to, to you, to be so involved in the community because there are you're you're young and there are a lot of demands from home I'm sure as well but to be a community rabbi is to give up yourself 24 hours a day in some circumstances so it does and the truth is it's I don't see myself as a community rabbi thank God I've got a very big thriving and growing community even over the corona periods of where we half the time not open but thank God I'm sure it has grown in leaps and bounds Massively over the last decade plus plus and it's been incredible But for me the rabbinical side is not so much the community. We don't have a membership in my shul So I don't believe in the community my own congregation structure I believe that the Jewish community in South Africa and I'm the, I, I am localized here and I think worldwide need to be there for each other um, Which leads me to join places like Atzol in these different places but I really believe that that is what we are about and therefore for me the rabbinical side isn't so much a question answer, I got this right, I got this wrong in my kitchen or rabbi, I need this from rabbinical halachic advice. I do give a lot of it. I, I escalate very much to more senior rabbis when need to. It's good. To, I'm a rabbi who's very happy to say I don't know. And when I find the answer, give it over. But at the same time as well, for me, I do believe it's about a community concept. It's about a drive to be able to transform and make a difference. And the truth is, I think that doesn't come from the rabbinical side of me. I think I was very, many, I'll just give a quick short story about them, which created this headspace in me. When I was 16 years old, you probably might know the family too, I was involved in a, what was a, an accident, a car accident with a group of us who were going away to Zimbabwe. And a young, my closest friend, one of my very close friends, Kanem Avremi Mendlo, was killed instantly. I happened to be in the road with him. Mm-hmm. I was miraculously saved and he passed away. I don't want to go into all the details of it, but practically... I remember it clearly, very clearly. Mm. A heavy day. I was 16 at the time. As I say, I was truly miraculously unscathed and he was killed. And I remember for years, I always questioned why. Why him and not me? What, what is it? What, like we grew up, we met each other when we were three and we grew up for our whole lives together. When I got caned, he got caned. When he was in trouble, I was in trouble. Like, we kind of lived our lives naughtily, and I wouldn't say there was, wasn't much good in our days as youngsters, but we were quite mis- misbehaved a lot together. I always said, like, why him? And I always baffled, and I, up to, the, to this day I still don't have an answer, but I did make a decision somewhere in my life that every day I better wake up with a purpose. Mm. Every single day I've got to wake up and know that the fact that I am chosen to live, I better live every day. Not exist, but live. 
Gosh. And that's become a big drive force behind me and my what I, and my family. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of every day knowing that you made a difference to someone or as many as you can. That's amazing because you know that that sense of uh, of living. I, I I had it myself when when I was young and nursing and and uh, um, a young boy got encephalitis brought in encephalitis and died while I was on night duty and I was nursing him and the three of us who were involved in nursing in in the the houseman the other nursing sister and myself all contracted um, uh, um, encephalitis and the others all died, including the little child. And I was the only one to live. So there is that sense of you can either go into that survival guilt of, you know, I shouldn't have been here, or you can take on life in a different way and say, I am here now, what is my purpose? And that sounds as though that's exactly what you did, which which says a lot, it really does. Today, I want to actually, we're just um, going quickly to, to Craig. Craig, thank you. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Uh, we actually have got a YouTube clip. Could we just hold that a moment, please, uh, Craig? We're just running a little bit late. We'll do that after the following advert. Thanks, Craig. First of all, I just want to say that if anyone would like to contact us, they can on SMS 34519 or telegram us on 061-895-1019. I am back with Rabbi Eitan Ash. And Rabbi Ash and I met each other through the world, the, the Hatsula Wellness Monitoring Center. When we went, when my husband and I went down with COVID, uh, we we registered on that site and immediately we they came and checked us out and Rabbi um, Eitan Ash actually contacted us. It was so, I can't even explain it to you, but there was a sense of security in it, uh, Eitan, that hearing your voice and knowing that in the morning and the evening your voice was going to be uh, on my phone was really such such a sense of okay, everything's all right with the world. And at one stage I had to go into cortisone and you didn't like my breathing and you phoned more often. And um, and that that was really, it was fantastic. And last year my, uh, my son's families went down with the COVID and once again Hatsola stepped in. And I would like to also thank registered nurses Cynthia and Maggie for helping my daughter through this period. My daughter had had two vaccines in Israel, two Pfizer, and still uh, got a breakthrough. But they were here every day. One of them arrived coming up our stairs, lugging these heavy bags and monitoring uh, our, my daughter, which was fantastic. And then Tali Ogus actually phoned Shira, morning and evening. So, you know, Hatsola is just this unbelievable system that I wanted to really acknowledge today. So many are volunteers and the sense of that they give us of, of actually we will be there. We're walking with you in this. Don't worry about it. We will check everything. We will check your, your stats. Now, I would like to just say that For our family especially, we are incredibly, incredibly grateful for that. 
But what brought you into Hatsola? It's a great question. Um, so many, many years ago, when Hatsola obviously was started ages ago, is I actually at one point, point decided, looked at potentially becoming a responder for Hatsola. I actually never contemplated doing courses at the time. And you asked me how I balanced the idea of family, business, shul, community. I understood at that time that if I did become a responder for Atzola and understanding the quantity of times and at night that you had to go out, I'd lose a family leg. <laughs> it wasn't an option in my life. And I understood that balance. And then quite a few years ago, I started a, a new section of Atzola called the CRU unit, which is a crisis response unit, where they do pretty much what they call PFA psychological first aid. It's a unit of men and women that on the most, on the most traumatic scenes, etc., when they need people just to not necessarily do the medical side on a scene, but to assist with the family and the loved ones in order just to help them through that first moment of trauma as everything's unfolding. There's a team of us that go out. Mm, that's amazing. What's important to understand that units have been used massively in the COVID world, that whenever you talk about our callers and just to understand the quantity of what's going on out there with us well at the moment, there's approximately 50-plus callers phoning every single day doing over a 1,000 calls a day, 150 nurse rounds a day taking place currently with approximately 9 to 10 nurses. The quantities are massive. When you've got 750-odd people who are currently active on the system, many of them not only are suffering with COVID, they're suffering with the emotional and the psychological challenge of being isolated. And, 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 and there's a whole team followed behind all these callers that I find you every day, but the teams that back us up, which was the CRU unit, finding people just checking how they are, never mind physically getting stats, but just emotionally and how you're doing and, and helping them through their bad days. And I always, for, for me, Hatsola was a, a dream, never mind from a medical point of view. I just wanted to be part of this organization. I just, you just see it. And, and I just saw, for me, it's an honor. It's a privilege. And it's one of those privileges and honors I wanted to have. I wanted to be able to say that I give in a way that Hatsola does. And therefore, when I knew I couldn't respond, I was waiting for that opportunity. It really was me waiting to join Hatsola. And and I'm privileged to be part of it. And, yes, we give up hours. And, yes, it might take its toll every so often. But for me, there was always a drive to be able to be part of this absolutely mind-blowing, exceptional organization. And I started with the CRU, and I've continued, obviously, within the COVID world now, making calls, as you are aware. (laughs) I'm very aware. And, you know, um, I was just wondering, because you started then with them before um, before COVID um, and with this wellness program. So were you then trained in this wellness program from, you know, from having been there before? Was there a further training to actually go into this, to read the stats, to obviously you've got to monitor the stats that Correct. are coming through? Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so there was training and there is training that goes on due to obviously as the numbers have increased throughout Tola, so they've needed more and more callers. So many of the callers that do call on the COVID line have, are not necessarily people that work in Atsala. They're people that have obviously over this period put their names forward as, as is needed of, out of the 50 plus callers. And there's definite training. There's training number one, how to use oximeters themselves, how to talk the patients through it, understanding the different things that might need to take place when you're on a call. You, you, you pick up the trends, et cetera, with your callers. Understand when you, it's not only about stats. When you're talking to a patient, you want to be able to hear how they're breathing. Are they gaping for air in between words or not? So there's a full course of what to look out for, what to keep in mind, 
um, to how to deal with them. And then it's an escalation process that, remember, we are gatherers of information. The callers are not medics in any way. There are some that are medics, but many aren't. So we really gather information that gets put into a centralized portal, which is created and obviously, which is probably, which is literally world class in the COVID world created by Atzala. And then that really gets put into a structure where it escalates to senior medics, to doctors, and to every it might be based per patient. And it's all, it's a centralized system of being able to manage patients in these very, very challenging times. And our idea is to, the idea of the program is to keep as many of, as many of us out of hospital and keep them surviving through this process. And as I say, there's probably just between 70 and 80 patients on oxygen currently at home, which mm-hmm. nurses go to visit. So really the process really is of information gatherers taking information through a, a, an array of back-end um, information, really um, puts it into highlighted structures and, and really alerts the right people at the right times. So there is a bit of training. It's not, it's not extensive, intensive training, but there is a fair amount of hours put in to train, to learn how to do it, and to be able to, within the COVID world, to make those calls. Keep in mind, I'm on volunteer. I can't give you the real structures of the back end and, and what goes on. So you want real information, you have to get the smart guys in that solar in here. <laughs> uh, I think I think I read that there was something like 54 volunteers who are responders and dispatchers and uh, or, or more than that actually. I was reading a, 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 a thing from Lance Abrams about it and um, Abramson, and I think he said 58 volunteer um, responders, 23 dis- volunteer dispatchers, and 31 crisis unit responders. Now, um, I mean, that is, those were all the volunteers. That was not talking about the, the full-time staff, which is amazing to actually have that. Now, I think that... that also, that's true, if I'm not mistaken, I think it also excludes, listen, is um, a lot of the callers. So remember, that's talking about the, yes. the structures of the inner soil is still a, now during COVID, a whole bunch of extra, as I said, there's 50 callers of which some of them do fit into those other numbers you've mentioned. But it's probably a much bigger um, crew of people doing this massive, people call it the third wave. I'm calling it the first tsunami because it really is more than a wave in my opinion at the moment. Mm. I think you're absolutely right about that. And, you know, I was reading something that the the chief, our chief rabbi said as well about, um, about Hatsola and how, how fortunate we are as a community to have a, a system like this. Are there any other communities that you know of that do have their own um, uh, medical uh, ambulances and centers like we have with Hatsola? So there are. The cities throughout the entire world who do have Hatsolas with their own ambulances and then responders. Um, and I think that Hatsolas worldwide do actually communicate with each other. So Hatsolas, we have it here, was not a South African invention per se. It's actually been, I know, my years in Yeshiva in New York, there's eat the different precincts have there as well. So to the organizational levels, I'll be ignorant to say, so again, you speak to the, 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 a guy like Lance Abramson you mentioned before, that'll give you a far better view of how that solid worldwide integrated work. I know that there was a international Hatsola get together a few years back, which was actually hosted here, which was again world class. So there really is an incredible, um, structure of Atsolas worldwide. I think in the COVID world, again, this is my total personal opinion, probably coming out of a fair amount of ignorance. I think we're quite far ahead of most of the, from this type of 
portal, organizational. I think there's a lot of response that took place over, overseas. This type of total organizational structure of phone calls to the similar to this structure, I think is pretty unique to us. Again, I'm talking with potential correction. But from what I understand. And, you know, I need to actually say to Rabbi Eitan Ash here that my my husband doesn't really like talking on the telephone at all, but he enjoyed your calls every day so much so that not everyone gets his pecan nuts that he collects every day from our tree. And you happen to be one of the people that got a big packet of pecan nuts. Okay. <laughs> And then also the one day you phoned to see how he was and I sent you a video of him uh, dancing with our grandchild. <laughs> I was actually going to mention that. It had to be mentioned. It wasn't only that I'm not the only one. I did get your permission. But I asked, I called you to see how you're doing and I didn't get a set of stats. I got a video back of Leon over there dancing with your grandchild. And I actually sent it across the Hatsola team network. I said, if you want to know how, what we do for our patients, it was a very uplifting, enjoyable video for the day. We <laughs> across the Jewish community. So we, it's, what is also incredible about Atzola is that the, obviously the privacy of, and the respect. We don't talk about people's names in the organization. No one should ever know who, whose patients are who. So when we talk about patients, patients have numbers, purely from a point of view that we respect it, we respect the patients themselves. So if we have a system where a patient needs a new oximeter, a new thermometer, we talk about a patient number, so people, in, even in Atzol itself, shouldn't know who does and doesn't have COVID. It's no one's business. It's just the callers themselves. But I did send that video with your permission across the entire Hatsola network to say we're making a difference. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, when I actually said about Hatsola, uh, I, I, I also meant is is we are are is that sort of the only organisation like that, uh, a Jewish organisation? Is it in other um, religions as well, or communities in South Africa that you know of, or are so, we the only ones? I don't know. I'm going to uh, I, again. I stand to be corrected. Uh, as I say, as a volunteer, I really don't know the ins and outs of all the other organisations. So I'm guessing there might be, but I'd be lying to say if there is or if there isn't. I don't know. And and have you ever been called out, not perhaps not in the COVID time, but uh, to an, a non-Jewish accident or uh, no. responders so be called out? Remember, I'm not an actual medical responder, but mm-hmm. I know for a fact that if there's an, they, they have to respond all the time to any form of emergency. That if they get called and are able to be the first ambulance there, so if they're getting a call out to Pretoria, they'll send whatever's there. Like they're not. Mm-hmm. It's got to be within the bubble that makes sense in principle. But, yeah, they've responded to many. Um, That's amazing. I was reading some of the, the on, on the website, at Sola website, some of the letters that have come through, which were all very, very moving. Now, yesterday when I contacted you, and for the first time you and I saw each other's faces, um, we were talking about the challenges, the, the, the beauty and the challenge of being in a community. Do you want to just mention what you meant by that? Very much. I'm actually going to take it off a preface, funny enough, of our Torah portion. I'm a rabbi. I've got to throw in a word somewhere. Yeah, okay. Torah portion. We're told that Bilam gets up on top of a mountain to curse the Jewish people. And he gets up to curse them. And when he looks at the Jews, he says, How beautiful are the tents of Jacob. 
We should live, we should dwell with the Jews, with Israel. And truth is, that curse actually was a blessing, and we actually sat in our prayers every single day. And the question is, why? Why would we take a, even if it's a blessing, but why would we take a line from a, from a prophet who hated us, who wanted to destroy us, and add it into our davening? And it was quite a simple thing. He got up on a mountain, he looked down, and he saw the tents of the Jews, the homes of the Jewish people, open. He saw the tents open. He saw the energy. He saw the power of community. He understood this cannot be beaten. I cannot curse that. And he turned into a blessing. Even if, if, if anybody sees that strength, you've got to run with it. Now, South African Jewish community is unbelievably blessed. You have this community, this love, this connection, this unbelievable doing anything for each other and, and socializing. That's who we are. The challenge is that can become our biggest problem in a times like this. We sit in a, in a time where there's this incredible, as I call it, the tsunami flying through our community with COVID. And we want to be that Matovo Alecha Yaakov. We want to be out there and socializing and see each other and go to schools and our schools and doing it right. But sometimes the ultimate love for each other actually has to be sometimes doing a WhatsApp call and sending a gift. And you've got to support the restaurants and order your takeaways and, and do it all. Like, but at the end of the day, Sometimes the greatest form of community is making each other live and keep each other healthy. And it is doing what we have to do. And at a time like this, it's such a, such a, such a, such a mix, such a hard concept. How do you show this community sense and all at the same time almost cut yourself off? Mm-hmm. Thank God we've got technology that there's almost every possible way. Look at me and you as a perfect example. I met you on a phone call, spoke to you multiple times a day over a period. Now there is a, Video discussion going on, being sent across however, wherever it's going through on radio waves. We can't, we're not locked up. We mm. can communicate, we can connect. And for me, as I'm saying, we, we look at the Torah portion, our blessing is our open homes. But our homes need to be open cleverly at the moment. You can mm. open it via looking after yourself, doing the non-socializing thing at the moment, just running a proper, genuine shutdown for now and letting this wave and specifically, there's a big wave within the Jewish community, particularly. If you look at the, the stats, and I did it recently, I actually did them yesterday. And, and it's actually quite scary. If you look at the Gauteng itself, which is the epicenter of this third wave that's smashing South Africa, we have approximately 45, this is yesterday's numbers, 45 to 50,000 active cases across 15 million people that live in Gauteng. That's mm-hmm. 0.03% of active cases. The Jewish community, on the other hand, has 750 active cases across 15,000, sorry, 35,000 Jews that live in Gauteng. That is 2.1%. That means that we are almost seven times the, 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 the provincial numbers currently. Wow. We have to ourselves. We're peaking early and please God will stop, but I mean, we can't put our heads in the ground. And, and one of the reasons is because how close we are and how communal we are, and it's our biggest blessing. But let's use our blessings cleverly at the moment. Let's just do this right. Let's just, for the next two weeks, almost hold back, do video calls, drop off stuff, send stuff cleverly. Just lock yourself down for the period. It's so critically important. Thank you. uh, This is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Rabbi Eitan Ash, and we're just going to have a quick YouTube. It's by Rabbi Tversky, who I must admit I miss, 
and um, I think it's either Rabbi Twersky or Rabbi Sachs. We've got I've got both. So thank you, Craig. Well, first of all, um, I want to tell you about a uh, personal uh, happening. Uh, my first wife developed cancer. And when we went to the oncologist, a very wonderful person, I don't know why he said that, but his first statement to her was, if you're asking, is there light at the end of the tunnel, the answer is no. Now, no one has given a doctor permission to uh, execute a person, right, to take away hope. What he could have said was, you have a serious condition, we'll do the best we can, we are not God. Right? As a result of that, I wrote a book called Light at the End of the Tunnel, right? That there is light at the end of the tunnel, and under no circumstances do you ever take away hope, right? Uh, we have all been surprised by things turning out different than we thought that they would, right? Uh, so, uh, I think that as difficult as things can be, can get, that, uh, that hope is the polar opposite of despair, right? There is always hope. Right? I may not get what I fantasied, and there it comes back to uh, the wake-up call. Have we had realistic expectations of what life should be like? Right? Have we become perhaps addicted to a way of life? Right? Uh, Money-making is extremely important. But, uh, you know, J. Paul Getty, who was a multi-billionaire, they asked him, well, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Um, what happens is that a person can get to a point where there's no self-satisfaction if one is constantly looking for gratification from material things. And we have to get into something other than the material aspects of life. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Rabbi Eitan Ash. And a message has come through, and it says, Hi, Sue, interested in whether Hatsula has outreach program to also help disadvantaged communities. This comes from Australia, from Professor Les Erwig. Um, do you know, I mean, do you are you involved with uh, raising funds or anything for other disadvantaged communities? So, again, I'm a volunteer at Hatsula. I can't tell you all the stuff that goes on over there, so I would be lying to throw anything in there. Um, I think Atsvala is pretty localised from a point of view of running it over here. I know that there was a programme put together um, to assist family members overseas to be in connection with the locals. So as there were issues and so on, so especially within the COVID world and communications, etc. But the exact international stuff of what goes on, as I say, I, I'm, a, I'm a volunteer. I really don't sit on the, the daily um, ops meetings and the boards and what goes on there. So. Uh He's asking more about disadvantaged communities within our, for instance, Gauteng. So again, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, again, I, if there's stuff that I'm not aware of, there could be. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's, it's a very focused organization doing what they do do. I think there's plenty of organizations out there within the Jewish community and out doing what they need to do. 
Yes, um, I think I very localized, very focused organization, very much within the medical world, within a bubble from the office to assist where they can, specifically within the Jewish community and within those bubbles where they can. But and I, certainly yeah. they're needing as many funds as they can, especially in this COVID time, to actually keep running the incredible services that they are running. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, was thinking, I mentioned a number before, 75 people at home on oxygen. That's oxygen machines. You're talking about... 150 nurse rounds, that's all the nurses and mm-hmm. them being covered and paid and the petrol and the driver. It, it is a massive machine that needs to be well oiled, no question about it. Absolutely. Now, going back to a more personal note again, I mean, in case you thought I was finished with you about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tell me about, you You have great, great empathy. And I've heard from people in your community that, you know, you say that you, you, you send them on to more senior rabbis if they're wanting something. But I would actually like to know from you what, um, what is it that gives you the sense of empathy with people? So I send them on to senior rabbis for rabbinical questions that are over above my head halachically. Most of the other people are happy to deal with them on my own, and I'm happy to work with any professionals at any time which I do. So thanks for the compliment about my empathy. Um, again, I, I, it obviously, if I do have it and I'm good at it, it's a gift that the Abishta gave me. There's no question about it. Um, and I don't know. As I, said, I think a lot of it does come from, from the people I interact with. So for me, life is about the people. You know, the, the, the physical things that come, do come and go. And I know everyone says it from a, a Torah point of view, but I have learned over my life. There's a lot of things that I've dreamed of having, which I've gotten and lost. There's a lot of things that I've always wanted to have, which I don't have. But, I, but those are all in the, the realms of, of ownership of, of tangible objects to own, physical objects. But the truth is, I think my greatest lessons in life and probably the things that have created me who I am are both of the journeys with people. And for me, I thoroughly enjoy spending time with people. I thoroughly be able to make a difference. It comes back to that story I told when we started. Mm-hmm. I, I, when I, I, really, I think I've really been turned to who I am. And I think my family across it all is based on the interactions that, I, that people have given me and I've given to them and and, and so on and so forth. So, and people often ask me how I balance my time. So, like I, I start my morning generally 4.30. I exercise from 5 to 6. Um, then shul, shul meetings from usually 7 to 8. Work the whole day in the corporate world from 8 to 5 and often afterwards. Continue shul after. The people ask me, why do I do both? Why don't you just choose one? And the truth is because I thoroughly enjoy both. And, and I love them both. And I can't, in my mind, see myself living without either. I, I, I do enjoy the corporate world. I'm not going to lie. I, I like the fact that I've, I've been able to fund myself and not being commun- having to have my community fund me per se. Um, and at the same time, I don't think I'd ever be able to live without the, the interaction and the idea that I'm making a difference to people every day. And the honest truth is, like, it really is a drive of mine. And, I've, again, a lot of that I think I probably – I'm sure some of it's natural. I'd, I'd be lying if I said otherwise. But at the same time, I think you do learn it over time. And, and again, there's nothing more fulfilling than changing somebody's life. And that's not about giving them a check. It's about making a genuine footprint in their life. And, and that's a massive driver for me as an individual. And thank God for my entire family. As my daughter works full-time at Atzol in the COVID program. Um, this is like my other daughter, John Hugo's here. Is my wife become one of the callers? Like, my shul isn't me back. A lot of rabbis say, like, I'll never be without my family behind me. I'm saying there's no one behind in this. So every one of us in my shul, 
but the Unterslags air muscle for the drivers of the shul and equally are forefront people mm-hmm. in a possible way. And, and again, it's, 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 it really is the petrol of who I am. It, it drives me. I love it. And I make, if I'm in the corporate world, I do it often. I often end up giving votes and having these discussions with people. It doesn't, it's not only about the next deal, though I do enjoy it. There's a lot of further to that at the same time. Do you know that um, when you say that, and we've just listened to Rabbi Tversky on hope, we're going to be called to to wrap up shortly. What have you got that you can add a little vote, perhaps, on hope? What do you think about uh, about hope? So I tell you what, it's interesting enough is I was listening to hope, and I was thinking about the the the, 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 the active um, advertising campaign that what's that that had solar ran just before the third wave. Hope it will back, which says hope needs help. And the honest truth is there's nothing more important in life than hope. Hope means drive. Hope mm-hmm. means that you've still got that flame inside of you. And the truth is, often in life, we've all got this burning nasham. If you look at it, when a person passes away, we light a yardside candle. When people daven during the year of Kaddish and shul, there's often five candles burning in the front of the shul, representing five levels of the soul. The representation of a soul in this world is a flame. And interesting enough, often that flame gets covered. And, and it gets darkened and, and often gets semi-extinguished. But the truth is, is we are told that there's never, ever, ever does that flame ever get extinguished. We've always got that, 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 that spark inside of us. And all that you need to do is connect to it. And that's hope. Hope is knowing that nothing ever is extinguished. I've got the capability. I've got the ability to go. And if you think about the way the physical world's made, when you walk forward, you push your leg down on the ground to move forward. When you throw a ball, your arm goes backwards to send the ball forward. When a plane takes off, there's a backward thrust. Or anything that goes forward in life comes off a backward movement. The things that hold us back in life, the thing, our challenges are not there to break us. They're there to give us the opportunity to move forward. And that's the hope. But it does need help. You can't sit back and say, well, I hope. You've got to. Be actively involved and believe in yourself. And most importantly, when you're feeling down and out, don't ever feel that you're over. There's organizations, there's people, there's everything out there to assist you. Never, ever, ever think your flame is extinguished. Keep that hope, get the help or help it, and there's nothing in the world that can stop you. Life is about getting. Wonderful. We just thank you, Craig. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Rabbi Eitan Ash, and I'm being told to wrap up. But before wrapping up, I would actually like to just say that we each have a part in this particular pandemic at the moment that we're in. And as you say, there's, uh, it's, we are in a war zone right now, but there are things we can do. We do not have to feel helpless in this. And, you know, the just picking up a phone, making a call, I think makes so much difference. And in that note, I actually want to thank Frangelica's. I've had the, uh, the kosher restaurant and coffee shop Thank you so much, guys. Honestly, for the Frangelica family, for checking in on me and my family and sending message. I really so appreciate it from the waiters and from just the Frangelica family in general. It make, it really, it's very meaningful that. And what you say about us moving 
but we often have to have that thrust that pushes us forward. Let us continue to move forward. You know, Leo Bascaglio said, don't spend your precious time asking, why isn't the world a better place? It will only be time wasted. The question to ask is, how can I make it better? To that, there is always an answer. How would you like to end, Rabbi Ash? I'd like to actually end with a short little cute thing. When I was doing my phone calls the other week, obviously I, I call on Shabbos. For a lot of the, a lot of the patients that are high risk, you call on Shabbos. And one of the patients I happened to be, um, going to another shul quite a while ago and the patient news on Shabbos, he says, do me a favor, Rob, please send that other rabbi regards for me. And it's, it's, not, it's just a weird, it's a weird concept. Like one rabbi must send another rabbi regards on a Shabbos from a place. But that's what life's about. Life is about even the most difficult times. Find that warmth, exactly as you said. Find that spirit. Make the phone calls to each other. Just in this time when you feel you're locked down. You're locked down in, from a physical point of view. You're not locked down as a person. There's no greater time than now. As you said, send WhatsApp, send video notes, send voice notes, make phone calls, whatever you can to each other. Let's keep the warmth of the community strong while we try to hold ourselves physically separate for the next few weeks so we can destroy this wave as it goes. And thanks so much for this opportunity. It really has been really appreciated. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rabbi Ash. I really enjoyed it. And thank you, Bussi and Craig. And we are wrapping up now. I will be back next Tuesday with Sean Waters, and we're going to be talking stressless, and hope you'll enjoy that then too. Thanks so much. Thank you, Craig.